0: This is Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master, creating
1: products customers love. Get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and I'm glad you're on this journey towards product mastery with us. Today, we are talking about being a better facilitator. And this is the ability to get a group of people to work together, right? Exploring a problem, maybe making a decision and the like. It's a really valuable capability in an organization and consequently a valuable capability for you as a product manager to be able to be a good facilitator. And good news, if you're not yet a good facilitator, you know, don't know how maybe do this, then this discussion is for you. And if you already feel like you're accomplished at facilitation, I can guarantee there'll be some insights from our discussion because we have a real expert with us who has helped many people. In fact, our guest has helped senior leaders, executives, VPs, CEOs at a number of organizations to be more effective facilitators. He is an executive coach and he started his coaching business, Essential Communications, back in 1990. And he also hosts a podcast, a very long running, very popular podcast, The Look and Sound of Leadership. And if we wanted to look at the list of companies of where he has helped leaders, names that we would certainly recognize, that list is much too long for us to even talk about here. But just know he is the go-to person to help senior leaders in all aspects of leadership and communication and this topic of facilitation. His name is Tom Henschel, and I'm very much looking forward to talking with him again. He's been here a few times before, and we'll put in the show notes those past episodes if you want to go back and hear some of the other insights about being a better communicator and looking like an executive, helping to prepare you for your executive journey. Speaking of those show notes, do remember we do take detailed notes for you. We also create a one-page action guide to help you immediately put into action any insights that we take away from this discussion. You'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 370. Tom, thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you, Chad, and thanks for that introduction. That was lovely. Thanks.
1: I had a great treat this week, and and I need to provide listeners a little context. Uh, You're hearing this, well, we're recording this on a Wednesday at the beginning, almost the beginning of December here. I guess this is the the first day of December. Listeners, you're probably hearing it about two months later, so we record a little bit in advance. But two days ago, Monday, I had the pleasure of turning on one of my favorite podcasts, which is uh, Donald Miller's podcast, used to be StoryBrand. Now it's called Business Made Simple. And Don is one of my go-to marketing gurus that I very much appreciate his framework. And as I was listening, this is one I listen to most weeks. Who did I hear introduced as the guest on Don's podcast? Tom Henschel. I'm like, I know that name. Listeners, I would encourage you to go check this out as well, uh, because you'll find good value in it. I'll talk about some highlights from it, but it's again, uh, marketing made's no, it has that one too. This one is called Business Made Simple, episode 48. And you'll find this interview with Tom. So here's what struck me about this, Tom. I have been a listener of Don's podcast from the very beginning. I've been following him for quite some time because he does a good job presenting a marketing framework for businesses to be more clear about their products. So that's been very helpful for me as a product manager. I appreciate Don, and particularly because he is a a well-known, accomplished writer. He took what he knew about story, crafting a good story, and turn that into a framework for businesses to be more effective in their marketing. Um, and I like that application of that previous expertise. Um, and when we first met, so I, I sought out someone to help with speaking about communications to this audience. When we first met, I particularly liked, frankly, one of the things that drew me to you was your experience before as a Jolyard-trained actor... I didn't recognize the name immediately, I admit, but I recognized some of the things that you had, had been on acting um, that I had the pleasure of watching when I was younger. And I very much appreciated that expertise of making that transition from what you learned as an actor and carrying that forward to now being an executive. I, I thought that was interesting. You, you and Don both have that in common. But the point, the thing I want to ask you about, sorry, this is stretched out here a little bit, uh, listeners and, and Tom. On this episode, having listened to Don from the very beginning on his podcast, um, he sometimes is is animated, but he was overly animated with you, and he was really enjoying that discussion with you, and you were being especially insightful about questions you asked him, um, and he was rather revealing in some of those answers, right? Uh, I, I think he appreciated kind of the public coaching from you. But what struck me was your ability to actively listen throughout that interview and ask him really insightful questions. So we're gonna talk about this facilitation thing in just a moment, that's our topic, everyone. But I wanna take advantage of this, right? Since we're together, what about this active listening skill, right? You did that so well on that interview. And I I wanna know just about how how can we do a better job active listening, being present and contributing to the, the discussion in a meaningful way?
0: Yeah, it is really hard. Listen, I've been working on it forever. I'm an executive coach. I've been coaching for 30 years. So I've been working on my listening forever. And it's, you know, this is a race with no finish line. What I've found, if I were going to give like a tip around active listening, you have to make an agreement with yourself that everything else can, everything else can wait. You have nothing to do, but listen. And that really, if you really get into that, that's a big shift. Because then you don't worry about, what do they think of me? You don't worry about, am I going to be smart the next time I speak? You don't worry about, oh, my God, and I have to pick up my daughter and my car's out of gas. And you don't think about anything but whatever you're doing right then with that person.
1: Okay. I I, I would think in that there's some ego that you have to give up as well. Because, you know, Total. right now I'm listening to you. I am trying to be very engaged. I am maybe slightly distracted because I'm taking notes as we go, because there's some things I want to refer back to. Well, let me ask about that real quick. When you were involved in this interview, were you taking notes as you went as well, or are you just keeping everything in your head that you want to talk about?
0: I'm keeping everything in my head.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It makes you more present, right?
0: It's something I've taught myself to do because think about what I do for a living is I tend to talk to people with pretty intense personal conversations for 90 minutes at a time over a period of six months or a year. Mm -hmm. That means I'm holding a lot of information from you. And so I've taught myself how to retain things and I've taught myself how to kind of put things in folders and be able to retrieve them later. And yeah, and by the way, I have to have had a good night's sleep and I have to be, you know, it, it takes effort. But it's a teachable, learnable skill.
1: Back to the ego aspect of this. So, you know, now as we're talking, it would be easy for me to get in my head and say, am I going to sound dumb to the listeners? Am I going to be witty? Am I going to be the expert on these topics that I, I should convey it?" You know, and if I'm in my head too much, then I'm, in some sense, I'm probably formatting what I'm going to respond, and I'm not really present, right?
0: Yes. This whole idea of ego whether it's us speaking up in a meeting, you and I right now on this thing, me talking to Don Miller, who's, you know, a much bigger kind of celebrity than I am, right? I mean, like being on Don's show is good for me. I could totally get into that. Like, oh, my God, I have to do well because if I do well, then I can blah, can blah, 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 right? What I've learned, and look, I learned this as an actor too, is none of that stuff matters. None of that stuff matters. I mean, think about how hard it is to go into an audition for a television show where they're going to sign you to a seven-year contract and a lot of money, if you do well, that's a lot of pressure. Right, And you need to just, like, get over it and do your work. So that's something I've been working on a long time, and I've just learned, like like that episode with Don, that conversation with Don, I didn't know how it was going to go, and I didn't really care. Whatever yeah. was going to happen was going to be just fine.
1: Right. And you were your authentic self. And I think showing up as our authentic self helps other people know who we really are, obviously. But it takes some of the pressure off, too. Yeah, it can. And, you know, side topic, there's something to be said, too, about, you know, the, the phrase, and I think Simon Siddick might may have this out in a video somewhere, you know, be the dumbest person in the room, right? Don't be afraid to be the one to ask the questions no one else is asking. Because I this happens in product work so often we make assumptions about who the customer is, what it is we're actually doing and around the table when we're talking about the project, not everyone's on the same page, you know, and asking the dumb question (laughs) is often really necessary.
0: But I mean, it's interesting that I knowing that we're about to talk about facilitation and part of that is about group, you know, there's so much research about how group influences decisions, right? There's an old study where there were, paid participants to misidentify something. And then the the real participant who didn't know that everything was set up would often side with the team, although it was clear that it, they were wrong. Mm. I mean, we are wired to agree with each other. We're wired for all that kind of. And it's so it's hard to suddenly go, well, I'm going to step up and ask this question that nobody else is asking. That's hard.
1: And sometimes it's not invited, right? And, and you know that. OK. <laughs> that too. W- w- one more, one more uh, reflection question on this interview. Don was more engaged than I've heard him sometimes, and really, you know, seemed to express enjoyment with this discussion with you, right? So as far as you showing up and not sh- sure how it would go and not particularly caring, you're, you're just trying to do your work, showing up being the best person you can and being engaged, you hit it out of the ballpark. I need self-reflection from you now, because I think this will help us think about ourselves a little bit, too. Why do you think people like you? <laughs> there, there's this first impression that you, I mean, when we first met, I didn't know you. I reached out to you trying to find someone that is a good communicator, right? Um, and I did appreciate your bio because of that connection to Juilliard and the acting experience. But you're just a likable person. And it was clear in that interview same thing, you had not met Don before. It was a, f- a first impression. He really I- enjoyed th- that discussion. And I want to know, what what makes you a likable person? First of
0: I don't know that everybody on the planet would agree with that assessment, but <laughs> I th- appreciate it. Thank you. I'll tell you, I think it's a combination of something you've already said, and, and I'm, I'll add to it. You talked about ego before. I have worked really hard to show up and just be willing to focus on the other person. I'm happy if you... Never know anything about me. And I get to listen to you for 30 minutes at a party. I'm okay with that. I really am literally okay with mm-hmm. that. So I, when I showed up with Don, for example, who's really high powered guy, right? But he invited it from the beginning. He said, Hey, I'll get some coaching out of you. And I thought, okay, pal. You have no idea what you're asking for, but I know how to do that. And what that is, what that coaching is, is literally turning the focus on someone else. Right. I can't tell you, Chad, I've been coaching forever. I have clients, they don't know anything about me. They don't know anything. They don't know if I'm married or divorced. They don't know if I've got kids or not. They don't know anything about me because we never talk about me, ever. They don't know I was an actor. Nothing. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. And it's not just my job, by the way. I'm wired that way. If I met you at a party, if whatever. It's not like I'm like, oh, I'm going to be Tom Coach now. The truth is my mother, who entertained a lot, taught us as children how to chat. This was like the currency in our house. This was a job of yours as being part of the host family was to chat with people. And the Mm -hmm. way you chatted with people is to ask them about themselves. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I can do that.
1: Yep. So I've been doing this since I was a kid. Right. And you're right. It goes back to kind of letting go of your ego there uh, in that time. And this is also a really important skill for product managers, not just to be likable, right? But to be able to talk to others, specifically customers as in our product management role and let them talk about their problem. This is a quick break to thank you for listening and to give you 10 hard earned recommendations that will help you advance as a product manager and be recognized as a product leader. They are based on insights I've learned after working with many product professionals like you and several organizations, helping them advance using my rapid product master experience or the RPM experience. You can apply the first recommendation in just five minutes and it will change how you think about the work you do and also increase your confidence at the same time. I shared it with a leader at Dell Computers when she asked how they can create a more innovation-oriented culture. I also used it to help a startup founder reframe their value proposition. And a marketing manager applied it when she was interviewing for a product role. Not only did she get the job, she also nearly doubled her salary in the process. All that from just the first recommendation. Now, a lot of people have already downloaded the recommendations, and I don't want you to miss out if you haven't done it yet. They're all in a PDF titled, 10 Changes Product Teams Should Make Now to Consistently Launch Products Customers Love easily get it by going to productmasterynow.com love, that's L-O-V-E, love, because the recommendations will help you better create products that customers love. Don't get passed by others that are already using the recommendations to advance their career. You deserve to advance too. Go to productmasterynow.com love and get the recommendations. Sometimes I'm asked, you know, I, I'm a strong introvert. Product managers have asked me before, well, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about that, right? How do I actually go talk to customers? My short answer is always, you just be curious. Be curious about them. When you're curious, people generally like to talk about themselves and then start talking about the problem they're having. You know, you understand the problem better, then you'll be able to provide a better solution for them. There we go. Okay.
0: Be curious. I love that.
1: I appreciate the self-reflection a little bit and your, your insights there about talking with others. Once again, listeners, I think you would enjoy this. It's episode 48, Business Made Simple, to go check out. Because you, you asked some good questions, and Don did a lot of talking on that episode because he was getting coaching. So, <laughs> that was great. Okay, on to our topic that I teed up here in the introduction. Um, and that is indeed how to be a better facilitator. And there's a lot of goodness that comes from anyone, particularly our product managers and leaders, being able to facilitate a group uh, towards some kind of action together. So a lot of places that we could start, but, but why don't we first discuss those benefits a little bit uh, about, you know, why does it help us to be a good facilitator? What do you see as benefits?
0: You get better results. It's as simple as that. It doesn't matter what you're coming together to do, you know, whether you're coming together to make a decision or explore options or build a team or whatever you're trying to do, you're going to get better results if you can facilitate the group. Otherwise, it literally is like putting a bunch of people in a VW bus and nobody's got the steering wheel. Mm. But the car's moving like what? Who's driving here? Right. And we might end up where we want to go, but we might not. So the benefits of facilitating, yeah, you help the team, you help the results.
1: I know I've been in situations where I've been asked to accomplish something that I have actually no no real expertise to be a part of, right? And yet someone has asked me to accomplish this. And at first that throws me off, like, what, why, why would I be involved with this, right? But... Then when I step back, I do know one thing I have competency in is getting something new that hasn't been done before started. I've done that a lot. And my secret is simply, you get people together that care about this thing, whatever it is, and you get them talking about it, and you just move with the momentum of the group, right? And come up with a mission together, come up with a vision, come up with, you know, whatever it is that needs to be created together. And so I, I see the, the ability to facilitate even outside of your element as really powerful because you can make things happen that otherwise would not happen.
0: Well, two things. Number one, you said this little phrase, you get people talking. And that's something that I think many people do not know how to do. Hmm. So you said it kind of in passing as if like, well, we all know how to do this. I don't think we do. So that's something we could talk about. The second idea that you talked about was this idea of showing up and doing something you don't necessarily know anything about. I'd like you to think about me for just a second around being a professional facilitator. That's what I do. I get hired, and I never know any of the content, ever. I don't know the jargon. I don't even know the people. Mm. I don't know anything. I'm only there as a ringmaster. I'm only there to drive the bus, but I'm. it's not my road to pick, right? right. So I'm like you, right? Of I don't necessarily need to know the content. I just need to know how to get people talking.
1: That's a really good point. I not th- thought about that. <laughs> okay, so the good reasons for us to be facilitators, it, it will help us create better products, better lead teams, get more recognition. S- some of the personal selfish reasons there, you know, better career advancement. Uh, let's talk about characteristics of a good facilitator. What, what, what would a, if, if I want to be, if I was known as a good facilitator, how would I be characterized? What, what, would I, what would I be? Where do you want to go with that?
0: Well, one of the things that I think You need is to not be afraid of groups, that you're going to get in the driver's seat. And by the way, when you become the facilitator, often you stop being the participant because you are the driver. Everybody else is in the back having a drink. You're not. You've got your eyes on the road. So you're going to separate yourself from the team perhaps, but you need to be fearless about teams, that it's okay, or or rooms full of people. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I think is you need to be – You need to be able to track what's actually happening in the room. And that's a skill that, again, when I say it out loud, I know that some people know what I'm talking about and I know that other people do not. So Mm -hmm. here's what I mean by, you know, tracking what's happening in the room. What were we supposed to be talking about? What are we actually talking about? What's the emotional content in the room? Is there like subterfuge going on here? Is there reluctance? What? So I've got to track the content. What are we talking about? And I've got to also track the kind of feeling part of it mm-hmm. so those are important characteristics you need to be able to just track them both i'm not saying you have to be a master at them i'm not saying you have to be able to shape them but you certainly have to be able to notice them
1: yeah just to be aware
0: so those are some of the characteristics. i'm sorry say it again
1: yeah yeah just to, to be aware of what's going on in the group at the moment and reading some body language trying to, to uh, think through people's motives a little bit. Are they participating authentically, or is there something else going on, maybe?
0: Well, that's interesting. So here's another characteristic I think is important for a facilitator. I think you need to be non-judgmental. Hmm. People do all kinds of appalling things to each other in rooms. <laughs> it's just amazing. Your job is not to scold or approve. Your job is not to correct or parent. Your job is to get to whatever the goal was. We have a decision to be made. We're have we trying to build a team, whatever it is. And you have to decide how you want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. But judging it like they've got a problem or, you know, boy, I guess their mom didn't breastfeed them long enough or whatever it is that you're going to kind of make up some story about them. You need to be careful and not do that. Because as a facilitator, the minute you start judging people, then the whole room just turns off. And it's very hard. This goes back to what you and I were talking about about ego, Chad. You, It's not your show when you're facilitating. So keep your judgment out of it.
1: Okay. So if it's not your show, what would a good facilitator be thinking of is a good outcome? What what would a good job look like as a facilitator?
0: Excellent. So there's clear goals set before the meeting. In other words, I can't go in and facilitate unless I know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, to go back to my metaphor of me, I've got the wheel of the car. I'm going to facilitate this leadership group in San Diego next week. I mean, the CEO and I have had three, and we're going to have a fourth conversation about what every part of the day is going to be about. So I'm really clear on where he wants to get in that, like, two-and-a-half-hour exercise. I know where he wants to get. That's now my job. I'm now in the driver's seat. I don't own the outcome, by the way, and I'm not contributing, but I'm getting to a goal that's pre-agreed upon. And that's what I'm paying attention to all the time. Are we moving towards the goal?
1: Right. Are we moving towards the goal? So for our product managers, unlike what you just described, they have a stronger vested interest, right? So that they may be facilitating a group where the outcome directly is related to what they're going to do the next day, right? Or the, the next quarter. Yeah. So in that case... I'm still, if, if I put myself in, the, in those shoes and I'm going into my product team to facilitate a decision we need to make, my goal is we're, we need to make this decision. If my goal is to direct that outcome, then I think it's not a facilitation as much as it would be sharing information, right? So if I know what I want the outcome to be, then I should basically just tell people, right? and Try to persuade and get them on board. But if I really am trying to problem solve with the group, then a facilitation experience would, would be appropriate. So I'm I, I just thinking through my motives, right?
0: Yeah. So, but let's go back to the neutral idea that facilitating simply is the idea of getting people talking. Okay. And then on top of that, we get to decide what we are facilitating. We are facilitating a decision. We are facilitating a brainstorm. We are facilitating, you know, whatever it might be. Now we add in the complexity of I am a participant. It, it is actually my show. I do have skin in the game. I think what's important if you really want to get people talking, quote unquote, is to be transparent. In other mm-hmm. words, don't lead a conversation and then at the end tell them something. I think you need to start by saying, here's where I'm coming from, but I would like to hear what you all have to say. This is not me trying to drive the conversation. This is me simply going on the record so you know where I am on the field. But I'm going to now stop talking so that all of you can talk about it because I don't know where you are. Now, I don't know if you listening to that, chat, I don't know if you think that those kind of words would actually be effective in that situation.
1: For me, they would be. I, I think, again, if, it, if we're trying to take our ego out of this right, and we're trying to solve the task, what is the task before us? What is the problem we're trying to work through? What's the decision we're trying to make? Being transparent about my position in that and trying to get everyone else's involvement in their ideas should lead to a better outcome
0: yes it should lead to a better outcome so here's another piece of facilitation that I think is getting harder and harder as we live on zoom longer and longer mm-hmm. I think it has always been a challenge to get every voice heard mm. I, think it, I think we all are used to meetings where there are two or three people who kind of never speak they just don't speak up And when it's time to make a decision, they go, sure, me too, or whatever. But they, you know what I mean? We never really hear from those people. I think our job as a facilitator is to be sure that every voice gets heard, including those two or three people who are reticent and don't seem to have the tools. You know what? I think as a facilitator, it's my job to make sure everybody gets heard. And there's all kinds of ways. to. I don't know how deep you want to go, like maybe sharing a tool or two,
1: but I would love to get some ideas for how to do that, because I think this is a challenge, getting uh, um, everyone to, f- I don't, maybe saying feel comfortable is not, not the right motivation here, but getting everyone's voice to be heard, because often, me being the, the, large, the big introvert in the room, I'm probably sitting there thinking deeply about the actual problem and reluctant to share any information.
0: Well, you're just not ready.
1: Yeah, so give us some tools.
0: Here's a really simple one first off, let's start with this. Those two or three people who often remain silent, somebody that might be like you, Chad, don't usually speak up in a smaller group. They don't want to speak up in a group of 12 or 24 or 40, but they'll speak up in a group of three, right? I mean, by the way, would that be true for you? Would you speak in a group, a small group as opposed to a large group?
1: Um, yes. And I've also learned the necessity of doing in larger groups, right? But that was not me in the earlier Yes, you days. have learned that.
0: Right. Okay. Fair enough. So so let me go back to the tool. One of the things that Zoom is great about is allowing us to do these breakout rooms, these small groups. Right. Even if you've got a group of 10, 11, or 12, you could do three breakout rooms. So here's, my, here's how I do this. It's really simple. I pose the question that we want to discuss. Uh, do we want to go forward with this? Where do you stand on this? Oh, here's one that I'm working with a company on. What do you think about Vaccine mandates. How's that? Right? That's an intense conversation. So I'll give them the prompt. What do you think about vaccine mandates? That's what you're going to discuss in your small groups. But everybody's going on mute. You're not going in your rooms for 60 seconds. So everybody's essentially frozen. Nobody talks. You can use that 60 seconds however you want. But you're about to go talk to people about vaccine mandates. It would be a really good time for you to get your thoughts together. And then those people who often are reluctant, often are more willing. It's a way of making sure that everybody's voice gets heard. So there's a tool.
1: Okay, I, I love that tool. And, and it ties into one that I have used many times. That, According to the literature, I discovered this when I was doing my PhD work, called Nominal Group Technique, NGT. And people might know it by something else, but apparently this was the origins. And it's just what you said, giving people that time, that minute, to collect their thoughts. And so, the way this works is it was an improvement over traditional brainstorming, right? Because traditional brainstorming actually doesn't result in as good of ideas as we think it probably should. <laughs> probably should. The, uh, and how NGT works is you give that prompt to everyone, right? So, if we're in the Zoom room or if we're sitting around the physical table... And then you ask everyone to individually on their piece of paper in front of them, jot down their list of ideas for the next, say, three minutes, right? So everyone take three minutes. We're not talking at this point, everyone write down your ideas. And then you round robin around the room, sharing an idea off your list, and you talk as you go. And I like that technique because it makes everyone participate, right? The people that like to over participate, it controls that. And the people that under-participate, it gets their voice into it as well. And doing that, I found we, you know, taking that minute, like you said, the 60 seconds or the three minutes I I spoke about, that helps all of us just do a better job thinking about what we're going to talk about.
0: It helps every voice get heard. Yes, I agree it does. Listen, I want to go back to something that you said, because I think this is a real challenge for people as facilitators. You talked about, hey, you know, if you do this list, the people who tend to overtalk, it helps contain them. The people who undertalk, it helps elevate them. And I want to go, yes, and as a facilitator, you're still going to have challenges around this. People who go off topic, people who won't stop talking. And you need to be able to manage that. That's part of being fearless with a group. Is that whatever they're going to throw at you and they're, I mean, they're just being people. They're going to do weird things. They are. And it's like that's inevitable and it's your job to manage it and still be moving towards the goal. So just again, a couple of really simple trick, really simple tricks. Don't get caught up in their emotion. Don't get caught up in your own emotion. People as a facilitator are like, oh, now I'm embarrassed and I'm going to have to interrupt this woman because she won't shut up. Now, because I'm embarrassed, I'm angry at her. It's like you don't get to have that in the room. That's not the point. There's no judgment here. She's just talking, and you, this, as the facilitator, would like to stop her. Do something simple. Say her name. Catherine? Catherine? Now, at some point, she's going to stop talking. I Don't know when, right? But I'm just right. saying her name. And then whenever she does, you say whatever feels right for the room. I want to be sure everybody has a chance to be heard. Now, don't make it about her. I want to be sure everybody has a chance to be heard, or I really want to be sure that we stay on the topic of the vaccine mandates, or whatever. You just make a statement about why you stopped. It's not about her. And then you throw the ball to someone else. Jack, you looked like you were ready to speak. So there's a technique around managing over speakers, and you need to be willing. It's okay. You will survive. It will be okay.
1: Right. And like you said, it takes courage, facilitate without judgment, without the emotion, and move towards your goal together.
0: Ooh, Chad, I like this. This is excellent. Yes,
1: yes. (laughs) I I like that tip very much because that's probably the more challenging one for me to deal with is when someone is, is my perspective rambling on, right, on a tangent that's not relevant to what we're doing right now. How do I get them back? And people in the room, I know, really appreciate a facilitator that does that, right? It's like, okay, you just wasted five minutes of my life that that I did not need to hear that. Why did you not bring us back faster?
0: Yeah. Well, listen, it's it's one of the ways that I gave myself permission to interrupt people was that Mm -hmm. my job was not to make them feel good. My job was to get the group to the destination. Right. So that I suddenly feel like I'm advocating for the bigger team as opposed to punishing this woman or disapproving of this woman or judging this woman is like, she won't shut up, you know, like whatever. So yeah, that it is, it becomes my job to advocate for the team and facilitate.
1: And you're dealing with that specific problem of of the person continuing to to talk and talk about something not relevant in a way that also doesn't, doesn't diminish them in, in any regard, right? You're just moving on to get back to what we want to do.
0: And hopefully it doesn't intimidate anyone else.
1: I want to keep talking for a bit. I know we're, we're pushing time here. Are you okay on time? I'm okay on time. So let's talk a little bit more about describing what this good job looks like, right? So the things I've picked up so far, we are not bringing our emotions into it. We're facilitating the discussion, which simply means getting a group talking together. We have some goal in our head about what we're trying to move towards as a facilitator. What else comes to mind when you think about what does a good job look like for a facilitator?
0: Give clear instructions. Hmm. Oh, my Lord, give clear instructions. I have seen so many people try to run an exercise where I'm like, wait, I'm sorry, what are we doing for three minutes? You know, you just like literally go, what? I don't understand you. That is not good facilitation. I also want to give everybody the biggest gift ever. I mean, this is something that I use all the time. It is called Liberating Structures. Liberatingstructures.com is the most Astonishing resource tool for facilitators these they have I can't remember 30 some exercises that are all free domain by the way they want you to use them their goal is to get people talking and they have these exercises some of which are really simple like like little jolts just to get the group to do something in like five minutes but some of them are big like You know, figuring out strategy and having deep conversations about why and like, oh, they're incredible. But what they give you, and this is the gift to the facilitator, they give you structure. So you can say to the team, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. This is what to do first. And suddenly you take control of the team and the team is relieved. The team is grateful. We've all sat through meetings where we kind of know what we're in the room to do, but nobody's in the driver's seat and nobody's pushing us down the road. Most teams are really grateful. When you say do this for the next three minutes, they're like, great, okay, I will. So liberating structures, it's, oh,
1: my gosh, you're going to love it. I I was not aware of this. I I love the tip. I'm anxious to go check it out. As you're talking about, very good. I'm glad you shared that with us. And as you're talking about that, and a little bit earlier when we we're thinking about, you know, some people are intimidated by trying to lead a group through, you know, some kind of facilitation and exercise. And I would certainly put myself in, in those shoes, right? That, that, that has felt intimidating to me in the beginning, and, so, and would today, if you asked me to suddenly facilitate a group until I had a chance to think about what I was going to do, is that first question I find is, is powerful for me as a facilitator. Right? What is that first question I'm going to ask people to respond to, to get us moving towards where we need to end up? Right. And I have had groups where, else, where I uh, will share, okay, this is what we're going to do in the, this meeting. I would like everyone to think about XYZ and a- answer this question. And we're just going to go around the room. Right? So everyone take three minutes, think about what you're, you want to share. And then we're going to give everyone two minutes to share their their response, and then we just want to get everyone talking about this problem, this experience, whatever the, the topic is. But once I have that first question that I feel like is going to lead us the right way, then the facilitation really becomes—I don't want to say easy, but right—it's it, I know where we're going. At least I know what's going to happen, and that I, I provided the structure for that activity, right, for that time.
0: Yeah. What I really appreciate about that is the idea of preparation. So, for example, if I mean my example of talking about this event in San Diego and talking to the CEO and all the planning that goes in, that's a ton of it. It, To make sure that it goes well is, yeah, I have to do my homework or going to liberating structures and learning how to run an exercise, any of that. Yes, I'm thrilled that you're doing that kind of preparation. I think that is something else that good facilitators need to do it's a responsibility it would be like trying to throw a party or something you don't just kind of unlock the door and say hey come on in everybody like well i guess some people do but it's not gonna be a great party i don't think you know so uh, so anyway you get my point yeah preparation good for you
1: and now it's time for personal coaching for me. So I was uh, facilitating a group once, helping to facilitate a group. had another person that was doing an excellent job. And we were helping to lead them through how to create a minimal viable product out of, out of some previous customer research we had done. And one guy who I very much liked, and, and we respected each other, but he was kind of the recognized leader in the group, right? He, he was the VP. I noticed in the previous couple hours, his his energy level kind of dictated the energy in the room. Right. And we got to a point where he said, hold on. I'm, I just don't feel like this is going the right direction. Right. Everything was good up to this point. And then we just kind of, you know, he, he didn't see where the next step was going to be. And I saw immediately everyone in the room, their shoulders just kind of slumped and, and like all of a sudden, the energy just got sucked out of the room. And in my mind, we weren't far enough through what we needed to accomplish. And if he just gave us 20 more minutes, we we would have been there, right? So what I did, this is the coaching I need now, okay? So w- w- when you're in a situation like this, when something just comes up, you go, wow, we just made a left-hand turn. It, it, it's the VP, the most important person right in the room, so to speak, in, in that sense that has actual power. And in this case, was paying for the engagement. What do you do, right? My my decision at that point was, um, okay, everyone, let's just take a 10-minute break and we'll we'll regroup. We'll get back together. And in that 10-minute break, I talked to him about my observations just with energy and said, you know, first, we're going to get there, right? And this is just a point where you have to trust us a little bit that, you know, 20 minutes, I think we're going to get to where you want to be, but you have to recognize your level of energy is dictating what goes on in that room. And and you can either make it better or you can suck the energy out like just happened. And I just want, you know, I don't know if you're aware of that or not, right? And we just had that little discussion. And then we went back in and we tried to push through and, you know, get to where we needed to be.
0: Wait, wait, what was the outcome?
1: Well, there were, there were two. He, he did appreciate the feedback and uh, about recognizing just how his, his how he influenced the mood in the room. And then we, we did get to a better place, you know, a, a after a while in terms of what we were trying to accomplish. So feedback to me on... And all of us, like when we have something like that that happens in a facilitation session section, you know, taking the break, having a conversation about it, what do you suggest?
0: Listen, I have no coaching for you. You did exactly what I would have done. Exactly. Called a break, talked to him on the break, and you gave him feedback. I want to say that to me, the really powerful part of this story, which is fantastic is you giving him that feedback. As you say, he's the vice president, he's the kind of guy with the most power in the room, and you stepped up. You stepped up and just showed up as an equal, as a human being on the planet, saying, this thing is happening, you have control over it, you know. You gave him the feedback, and he appreciated it. And I would challenge all of your listeners, how many of them would do that? How many of them would call a break and then go up to the guy and go, hey man, pull it together, Help us out here. Give us a break. Like, good for you. So that's another thing about being fearless with the team is sometimes you're going to be dealing with people who are higher up the ladder than you are, but you're still the facilitator, and your job is to get everybody to the goal line, and you took that really seriously. Good job.
1: Okay. Well, I, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I wanted to see if there were other things that might be done at that point, but that's really good. And see, in that situation, I had, in one, like you, right? Little skin in the game, except for, you know, maybe I might offend him and lose the opportunity for follow-on work or something like that, right? In a company, we have working relationships, and these are longer-term relationships. I regard feedback as a precious gift that few of us get enough of right? And I see feedback as something like, you know, this gift shows up in my lap, and I can do whatever I want with it, right? If it's valuable, I can act on it. If it's garbage, I can put it where it belongs, right? And so, I think I'm more wired that way to say, you know, this might just be helpful for you you if you don't recognize it already. My experience tells me a lot of us are not wired that way, (laughs) to think about feedback that way. But as a facilitator, I think that's part of our job, too, is kind of reflecting what we're seeing,
0: Yes, but it's reflection, it's not feedback. And and all I mean by that is your feedback to that VP was for a purpose. You had a reason to tell it to him, right? You had a re- and the reason was he was affecting what was going on in the room. Reflection is simply reflection. Like there's I, I mean I do it to teams all the time. You guys seem to really be able to have hard conversations together. I'll say things like that. Or I'll say, you guys seem, it seems like it's difficult for you to have hard conversations, right? I mean, I'll just name it just because I'm seeing it, but I have no judgment about it. And it's, it's not meant as feedback like they should change it. Okay. But I would like them to know what I see. Now, by the way, that's a really fas- sophisticated facilitation skill, but it's great and it, people appreciate it. As you say, they don't. Nobody gets enough. That's. I'm with you on that. So yeah, people do appreciate it.
1: Yeah, and, and of it as reflection is helpful.
0: Oh, good. Uh, you brought up a point that I'd love to just touch on, which is internal facilitating internally. If I'm in the room, if I'm, you know, a project project manager, and and I've got a vice president or two in my meeting, like that's really different when it's internal. It's. I think it's harder to manage someone who's one, two, three levels above you in a meeting mm-hmm. as even though you're the facilitator if that person wants to hijack your meeting they're gonna hijack your meeting i mean i just don't think you can stop it as a facilitator right when it's an internal situation i think it's hard
1: yeah yeah, i think that's very hard and i know i've been in the, that situation where okay this is not going where i thought we were going to go in this meeting then the, the outcome kind of depends on what happens, right? Do I, I have a, another meeting to try to accomplish the objective, or did things change so much that we're really heading a, another another place now? And because the VP has the authority to head us another place, that's where we go, right?
0: If that's what's happening, that's right. right. That's right. You're just the facilitator.
1: Okay, R- really – valuable conversation um, about how we can become better facilitators. This is an important skill for us to have some good tools there that you mentioned, right, about helping the uh, regain kind of the direction if someone's talking too much and and deal with that, how to help people participate more and by using those uh, smaller groups and breakout rooms and with remote working using those Zoom sessions and then get back together and share what was discussed. Really valuable. Those, Those are good techniques to use for sure. As listeners know, we love a good innovation quote around here. What do you have for us? And tell us what that means to you.
0: Dave Stahoviak is a podcaster with a show called Coaching for Leaders. And Dave and I have been friends a long time. And he always asks his guests a question. And I've started asking it of myself. And it's really interesting. The question is, what have you changed your mind about lately? And it's a really interesting question. I love it. It's a kind of reflective question. There's no right or wrong answer, but it just changes the lens usually from however I'm thinking about my day to suddenly go, what have I changed my mind about lately? Wow, I go all kinds of places.
1: It's fascinating. That is a good reflection question. What have you changed your mind about lately? I'm going to put this in in product management terms briefly, which is hopefully we recognize, we've talked about this some, that as product managers, we need to be lovers of the problem, the customer's problem, and not our solution. And that journey where we're understanding more about their problem and building a solution that we might, it might, you know, there's a little bit of flirtation there and evacuation and we might want to fall in love with our solution. Um, along the way, we might find ourselves having to change our mind a lot about what that solution actually looks like. And that's beneficial as long as we're trying to solve the customer's problem.
0: Wow, what an interesting take. I love that. That's great.
1: And it's just a good reflection question, too, right, for our personal development. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. And as well, I shared a little bit in the beginning about your bio and your work there at Essential Communications. How can people find out about the work that you do and resources you have available?
0: Well, first of all, I want to say we have a lot of resources free on our website to help people be better communicators. It's the Essential Communications website, and it's essentialcom dot com essential com with two m's dot com and go help yourself i mean the whole podcast library is there but then there's a, a whole a lot of pdfs with tools and tips and models and stuff that you can use and you can also go to liberating structures i have nothing to do with them but i just want to call that out again
1: that's a good resource. Appreciate that. We'll, we'll make sure those show notes, sorry, we'll make sure those links are in the show notes, make it easy for everyone to go find that as long as along with the previous episodes that you've been a part of too, because you've helped us think about how to be better presenters and more clear communication, more clear communicators. And also, I have, we had an episode on if you're moving into leadership, you know, what, what does that look like from a, kind of the, the look and feel of leadership perspective that you talk much about? Tom, once again, great pleasure to have you on this podcast. Thank you for sharing your experience and insights with us. Thank you. And listeners, you'll find those written notes and that one-page action guide to put the key takeaways immediately into action at productmasterynow.com slash 370. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to
0: Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.